Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Well, this is a huge story. It's very serious. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden conceivably stole those documents. What people need to understand is the President of the United States is the only one that can declassify documents, not the Vice President. For Joe Biden to steal documents and have possession of them, this is a serious investigation and the communists at NARA can't hide it anymore. And Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice, they have to be held accountable if they don't treat Joe Biden exactly the same way they're treating President Trump. It's ridiculous and it's shameful. Wow, that is our new Republican vice speaker, MGT. Opining on this this new big news about Joe Biden uh, didn't just have a Delaware public service employee hat collection there in the office. Axelrod, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think that uh, at least she's on the case about the communists at the National Archives. Yeah, she's got a list of 34. That's been a cell of <laughs> reds for as long as I can remember. And finally... Finally, we're going to get to the bottom of it. The time we visited and all those clerks suddenly froze, turned, and gave you a discreet salute. I thought, there's something up there. <laughs> there's something. They recognize the colonel here. Yeah. But to unravel all of this, we have... Oh, yeah, we get a little mood music. Yeah, there it is. The Swami, the Savant, the one and only Dave Wasserman... From the uh, Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. That's what it's called now, right? The Cook That's Political right. Report with Amy. Amy, I want to get everything. She is a good lawyer. And there, our buddy Amy Walter. Yeah, absolutely. And she's a faithful listener, I'm sure. So uh, welcome, brother. Well, thanks. It's nice to be you know, reporting live from the Red Square of the National <laughs> Archives. <laughs> hey, before we start, can I just hear another lick, Fox, of that tune? I want to, I've got music trivia. I think that's from your, your famous uh, debut album, Bluegrass in Space, but I, I want to hear a little more. G- give yes. us 30 seconds on what, yes. what that was. All right, Guys, it needs you. more fiddle. Yeah. All right, that's good. They, they need to uh, bring up the banjo in the next mix, but uh, I, think, I think that was it. So, guys, this was sort of an unexpected story. Indeed. I just plopped it. I tweeted this morning that, I think Trump saw a get out of jail free card flash before his eyes here. But what what do you guys think the the how does this play out? The story that Biden they found ten documents in Biden's old office and returned to the archives. Obviously a much different story than the Trump story, but I don't know if people how much of a distinction but, people but close close enough for cable TV news work. Dave, what do you think? I think this is going to rank like number 17 uh, in terms of the political scandals of 2023 and and, uh, the larger crises facing Congress. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. The thing that it does do is it it gives false equivalence to those who want to try and defend Trump, uh, Trump's behavior. Obviously, Trump resisted uh, and resisted and uh, dissembled about what he had and so on. It's a much different story. But, you know, the easiest story, the easiest line to sell in America is everybody does it. Right. That's the problem. Right now, what it gives, you know, I have two views of it and we have to know more about what exactly is there. On one hand, on the merits, I'll bet the Biden stuff is going to be pretty small time. Well, Trump basically has the nuclear codes laying around the big oil 
painting of him at Mar-a-Lago. So from legal vulnerability and everything, I think Trump's still got a lot of jeopardy. But from the political noise-making side of it, which seems to control everything these days, it's a hell of a good tool for Trump because, one, he can give his troops an equal story. Oh, yeah, you know what Biden had? He had the secret Biden, the Hunter Biden bribe documents and all hidden in his office part of the cover-up. And it fills space for his troops to have something to cling to. And, of course, the media go, well, they both did it. Maybe Trump was worse, but, boy, that Biden. And, you know, on the merits, once we really know, there was a violation there, and it's serious stuff. So it, it is a spin and political noise-making uh, problem for the Biden folks, and it took the beautiful situation Trump got himself into and has now blurred it, which is, you know, politically unfortunate for them. But, hey, don't leave the secret documents around the damn office. Even the Mar-a-Lago story is not going to be Democrats' number one line of attack against Trump. Oh, I agree with that. If Trump makes it to the general election, right? It's after the midterms, the Democrats' argument is, look, here's someone who's going to pardon January 6th insurrectionists. Yes. As Democrats have, have, I think, for good reason, newfound faith in that light of attack against chaos. Yeah, that's true. And by the way, just from the lonely outpost here, thank you for adroitly uh, being somebody very close to the reality of American politics, adding that phrase, if he does make it to the general election. <laughs> there was time when when uh, popcorn would be thrown at uh, anybody on this podcast making that argument. But I think that's where we are. And that is a good point, too. It is, uh, it is not the greatest thing. It just takes away a decent thing, I think, politically for Biden. Yeah. Well, it also creates, you talk about uh, for people to make noise. You got a bunch of noisemakers there, uh, Wasserman, over there in the house now, uh, You, including Marge. You heard her there. Uh, yeah, she's gotten marginally better at, at, at this uh, political spin game. But look, before the election, uh, my question was- Was that a pun, by the way, marginally <laughs> better? Well- That's a wow, unsuspected pun talent there. From- my question for the election was, would Republicans have a governing majority or just a Marjorie? Because oh, after all, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if I always said, if, if Republicans majority was 15 seats or less, you did, then, then McCarthy would be beholden to not just the freedom caucus, but the subset of America first MAGA freedom caucus goers, including Marjorie, but of course, now it goes further than that. She was on his side and there's this subset of 15 to 20 members who are going to, to, uh, to really alter the calculus in terms of what the house is able to pass. Yeah, for, I do. I, I wanted to mention that because you said many times and, uh, I think wisely so that the real, you know, the margin, uh, in the house was going to be determinative as to what kind of house it was going to be regardless of, uh, you know, the Republicans being in control. And, you you know, McCarthy knew that, too. He spent $350 million trying to expand the majority so he wouldn't necessarily be in that position. But he seemed to happily slide into it uh, during la- the last tumultuous week, uh, didn't he? Talk about the deals that he had to make uh, in order to, uh, to, 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 to foist that gavel into the air in exaltation. Well, obviously, he needed to make some some big concessions in order to get across the the finish line, really limp across uh, the finish line with 216 votes. Now, talking to McCarthy and his top allies, they're not so concerned about the motion to vacate and bringing that down to one member. They believe that in the end, Democrats 
will not be unanimous if it comes to a to a Matt Gates or someone else putting forward a motion to to vacate. They don't believe they're all going to side with him because they might end up with someone worse. So McCarthy's not so fearful of that. I get that. What does it do to the dynamics within the Republican world and the Republican primary world if he's saved by Democrats? You know, he could have made a deal with Democrats on the on the speaker's fight as well. Uh, and he didn't for a reason. What happens if they're his life raft? I don't know that Democrats are, are going to, you know, would have played ball on any speaker consideration. But here's what we're watching down the line. Any major must pass legislation yeah, now has thing. to go through a discharge petition. Pretty much. Right. right. The, the numbers are are vastly different from what they were in the Boehner and Ryan uh, eras, right? They, uh, the, the far right of the conference holds much more sway over their ability to, to pass things with Republican votes uh, alone. Um, and so there are going to be at least are going to need to be five, 10 Republican members who, with McCarthy's blessing, break from leadership and vote with Democrats to get several important things, such as a debt limit and government funding potentially even defense authorization through. And those are the people who are going to, to face the biggest primary challenges from the right uh, if it comes to that. Now, they, a number of them come from districts that voted for Joe Biden, um, and, and Republicans kind of understand they're the only people with ours next to their name who could hold those seats, like Don Bacon uh, from Nebraska, or potentially mm -hmm. a few of the members yeah. from New York, like uh, Mike Lawler. And so, you know, McCarthy knows that he has that avenue to kind of, uh, to kind of avoid culpability for siding, uh, with Democrats. Keep in mind, there are, you know, he doesn't have the experience working across the aisle that, that immediate past Democratic leaders had, uh, and doesn't have those same back channels that, you know, say a Steny Hoyer, uh, did when, uh, when Democrats were, were in charge right. with a narrow majority. But the concession that I think is the biggest deal is on the rules committee yeah, this is and what giving three freedom caucus members seats on that panel. Keep in mind, this is a vastly powerful house committee. We should explain though, for our yeah. listeners, because the, the house is kind of special. The minority has very little power because everything's ultimately about a floor vote and the rules committee is the speaker's traffic cop to control what goes to the floor and how, you know? And so if you control the rules, you kind of control the plumbing and wiring of the voting on the floor process for legislation. It's super powerful. Normally it's a bunch of guys with a rubber stamp, you know, on behalf of the majority party, just wham, wham, wham on a party vote when the leadership wants something to move. Now the real majority on rules, the control committee is, could be, Democrats and some cranky firebomb throwing Republicans. It's kind of the inverse of what Dave, you were talking about on a big bill where he can peel a few of his tough district guys and say, Hey, come on, they got to live and add five or six or whatever to the Dems. This is the reverse of that. Now they can all put on their aluminum foil hats and the Democrats will say, we're going to be crazy for a day to derail things. Well, that's exactly right, Mike. And you know, the rules committee, Tom Cole is going to chair it, you know, pragmatic Republican yeah, who's an institutionalist, capable. right, from Oklahoma. And the Rules Committee, you know, is typically nine members of the majority and four members of the minority. The reason three Freedom Caucus members uh, being on it is such a big concession is because 
if those three Freedom Caucus members side with the four Democrats, that's seven, six against the, the more governing wing members of that panel on the Republican side. So when it comes to a farm bill or defense authorization, or you name it, this panel can decide what amendments get considered, what poison pills could be brought to a, a, um, a floor vote. That's, and, and the leadership is going to have to be very smart when it comes to deciding which Freedom Caucus members to put on these various committees. McCarthy believes that if he's able to split up the sub-clicks of the Freedom Caucus and make sure that a few best friends are not on the same panels to be able to gang up on the governing wing that he can manage this. I'm not so sure. You know, it's a hell of a carom shot. It's the old joke about the cannibal king. You know, when you have the peace talks, he keeps sending you a note in somebody's hat back. That was, the last ambassador was delicious. Send me another one. I mean, uh, everything Kevin does is a clever carom shot of rational actors. And everything about that is true except rational actors. I, I can see a kabuki theater that we're going to see over and over again where he peels off a couple for the big vote. The cranks get mad and try the motion to vacate to punish him for that. It doesn't work, but it's it's, it's epic stuff. And then then the fight goes to rules on the next one, probably the first one, too, where they keep trying to jam through what they're always talking about, which is single up and down votes that nobody with the middle name Mohammed is allowed to ever work in the Defense Department. You know, these 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 kind of politically these talk radio, even though now it's talk cable votes. And they're going to have the power in the Rules Committee to get away with at least some of that. And look, Tom Cole is an old friend of mine. He's one of the only guys in politics who's been a college professor, a pollster. People forget this. He was number two at the NRCC one cycle where I worked with him years ago. He's a great whiskey-sipping, smart, pragmatic Paul. But he's going to want to literally get out his blunderbuss by about day 42 of dealing with these people because he's a grown-up. So much of this... uh is going to be theater without consequence right? until you get to bills that actually have to get passed uh, that are, are, are really, really uh, meaningful that go to funding the government, that go to, you know, well, we're going to have the debt ceiling issue. But, uh, but to your point, Dave, uh, you know, Pelosi was great at cutting people loose uh, to fit their political needs. Uh, you know, she people forget she was elected with 216 votes uh, and uh, the, the two that voted present were Spamberger and Slotkin, who had difficult districts. Pelosi knew that, uh, you know, so part of the art of this is like who walks. The other part is what Mike says, though, does do do, do these to these, uh, to the crazy people hold McCarthy accountable for the people who walked or do they, you know, tolerate it that and uh you know i don't know what the answer to that is uh, i mean obviously you know uh the floor was a very finely calibrated place when pelosi was speaker it didn't look like that last week <laughs> to say the least he's also short on walkers even though there are people in those districts who have the total political reason to do it the fred upton types all got clipped you know, they're very, maybe Dan Newhouse, very few left. So even the walkers, I think, may be a little more chicken than the old school walkers. But politically, they've got to do it. You're totally right. If nothing else, the last election should have been an impetus to the walkers to walk every once in a while. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to congratulate the C-SPAN writing staff uh, for coming up with a great season. Yeah. High ratings. Yeah. What a cliffhanger. Uh, television. Yeah. And 
you know, Mike Rogers, uh, you know, ready to lunge at, at, uh, at Matt Gates. I'm amazed that, uh, that Rogers has had to walk back, uh, some of his tempered remarks. I mean, I would think that he, he would have 95% of the conference behind him. Yeah, uh, in in wanting to uh, send Matt Gates to Siberia. Well, I think unofficially he might. And by the way, I had to laugh out loud at that. Even though on one end you never want to see that stuff in the house; it's horrible, it's despicable. But boy, they picked the right guy to be head of armed services. If there's anybody I want running the army, uh, it's two fisted, ready to explode. You know, killer. You know, the other sidebar to that I think has been missed. People don't understand that Gates. Uh, the beloved uh, young Matt Gates, ironic father of the great Don Gates, who is a huge grown-up leader, state senator uh, in Florida. The reason he got the seat, he represents Pascagoula. It's a huge military town, and and right now I'm sure Rogers is thinking, I want you know they have the best uh, golf course in the Air Force. Maybe we need to put a fuel dump there. I think they can really screw with them locally. Pensacola, Pascagoula is in Mississippi. Pesca, I'm sorry. I, it's very early here in California, late late, late night out uh, working on my new Swiss passport. So I Give him a Pascagoula here. Uh -huh. He's up early. Yes, yeah. All right. We're going to leave for a minute to pay the power bill, and then we'll be right back. Man, this one really speaks to me, Murphy. You, <laughs> you know, it really does because watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like going to a casino and only being able to play on the slot machines. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Why, why limit yourself like that? The big money somewhere else and tell people why. Well, it's this fancy thing the kids call computer internet, David. Basically, Netflix works worldwide. But Does it have a crank? They, they know. It's kind of like your eight-track, but with pictures. They, uh, <laughs> they, they, Netflix knows it's a big, big world out there, and they know where you are. So basically, when I want to watch, because I'm a fanatic for watching UK and other European or, or South Korean movies are great. There's a lot out there, but Netflix knows I'm here in L.A., However, with ExpressVPN, I can get a lot of that content because ExpressVPN lets me tell the internet where I am virtually. So often I'm in Hungary or I'm in Shanghai. I'm wherever I need to be to get the cool Netflix stuff. And that's what ExpressVPN, a virtual private network, will do for you. Be a world TV citizen. I'm telling you, X, you haven't lived till you watched the French cop show. Hey, Pierre, there are rules here. No, I'm fighting crime no matter what. Or we'll watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine from Japan. It's fantastic. Come on over. I'm coming right over. It's really amazing. It lets you be a world TV viewer on your subscription. And it has all the other advantages over other VPNs. ExpressVPN is blazing fast, so you can stream Woo. in HD with no buffering. You know, even big fat files, they zip right through. And it works with all your devices. And how many countries does it serve? 94. So if you want to watch the Kim Jong-il story by North Korean TV, actually, the South Korean Kim Jong-il stuff is hilarious. They make movies where he, like, sneaks over, he wants to meet girls. All that stuff is there. 94 different countries. Thousands of new shows. And it works with other streaming services, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, all right. of them, and more. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and then only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. Don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. I'll be right over.
Last week, um, I was having flashbacks having covered the Chicago City Council. I, I covered a few meetings like that where people almost came to blows. The place was in chaos. Uh, never really thought I'd see it in the Congress. But Dave, you, you had a chance to, to talk to the new speaker. He seems unfazed by this, all of this. He's Oh, yeah. He's, he's sending out internet memes of, uh, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street uh, saying, you know, I'm not fucking going anywhere. And uh, so he's having fun with this. He's trying to bring the, the mood uh, uh, back to a place of, of levity in the Republican conference. But I don't think that's going to last very long. Yeah, it's like he joined the army three days before the land war in Asia broke out. Well, look at this uniform. This is going to be so much fun. I get to fly helicopters. What does it mean that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, you know, there was there were others uh, from that kind of uh, Freedom Caucus far right group were so integrally involved in putting him across? I mean, how how does that power? Obviously, Jordan will be chairman of the Judici- Judiciary Committee. Apparently, she's going on the rule on the uh, on the oversight uh, committee. How much how much influence are they going to uh, wield moving forward, and how does that affect uh, what the Congress takes up and what the Congress won't do? Well, if Democrats could pick any far right Republican to be on a widely watched, you know, committee uh, with high profile hearings, is probably they'd probably want to pick someone they could caricature as as being. Uh, you know, dev- devoid of, of of intelligence. But look, the I think the the biggest fallout um, is going to be in primaries to come um, uh, politically. You know, McCarthy has been more immersed in politics than any speaker who's come come up. I mean, it went back when we were talking about Young Guns uh, when they published that book. Him, yeah. Ryan, and Eric Cantor. McCarthy was the political hand. Eric Cantor was supposed to be the legislative guy, and Paul Ryan was supposed to be the ideas guy. But being that involved, only the political in, guy survives right, here. But <laughs> it, be, being that involved in recruiting and funding candidates over the years comes with its perils too. And when when you get elected speaker with two hundred sixteen votes, just about anyone uh, who voted for you was critical in putting you over the line. And so McCarthy is, of course, wanting to favor the people who brokered the deals uh, who came from his side of it. Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, uh, Mike Lawler, from a freshman from New York, Gary yeah. Graves from Louisiana. These are the people that he really personally credits uh, with, with getting him there and trying to publicly elevate but privately marginalize some of the people uh, uh, in that group of holdouts. Uh, that's one of the ways in which he mollified that group was for his super PAC, Congressional Leadership Fund, to cut a deal with the Club for Growth, which had funded yeah, yeah, those holdouts huge. over the years, like like Mary Miller, Matt Rosendale, et cetera. But there are ways around that deal, uh, which, by the way, was an agreement essentially to stop funding uh, uh, for the, for CLF to stop spending in safe, open Republican seats to kneecap some of the, the freedom caucus or, uh, or, or club for growth type candidates in those races, there are going to be other super PACs that, that pop up that have shadowy connections to 
uh, McCarthy and House Republican leadership. Right, exactly. It's, it's keeping water out of the basement. Yeah, that's right. This is why, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of a den of vipers thing, but this is why Gates and others uh, were dubious about deals with McCarthy because they don't really trust him to stick to the deals uh, on, especially on, uh, you know, on matters like that. So that that was a big that was a big deal. Seems to me, you know, everybody's talked about how painful the next uh, two years are going to be for Biden, you know, investigations and so on. And I, I mean, there's an element of that for sure. This seems like a pretty, on balance, uh, it actually seems to benefit him and Democrats to the degree that the House becomes uh, enmeshed in kind of crazy uh, as you pointed out earlier, uh, they're a foil uh, for Democrats. This exactly this this specter is exactly what people kind of, especially independent voters, voted against uh, last fall. So and there's a reason why Bill Clinton was able to bounce back and win re-election yes. comfortably after '94. Why Obama was able to, yes, to yes, win re-election yes. after the Tea Party wave of 2010. You, you know what I'm struggling with, though? Because I totally see that. And under the old, trusty, highly effective playbook, that's exactly what works. They put on a clown show. You move to the center. But now, after the last couple of elections, I constantly think, okay, that's the old playbook we used to just accept. But in the new era we're at, maybe the old playbooks don't work so well, post-Trump, post the political culture we have. So maybe on one hand, that should work for Biden. On the other hand, we could have a crazy world house Congress where people in ornate buildings wearing suits with gavels convene the Congressional Investigator on, on, uh, Committee on Presidential um, uh, Mental Illness or being senile and just pound away with the imperator of some congressional institutional respectability at that kind of cheap shot stuff that used to be a lot quieter in American politics. And who the hell knows? You know, I just, I, I don't grip the old rules like I used to. That's been the learning of the last couple cycles for me. So, you know, who knows if the old laws of gravity uh, work? I, I would guess they would. They worked before moving to the center while well, they move crazy, but you know, we've never had a Trumpian personalities totally control the, the the microphone coming out of the U.S. Congress, the House before. Yeah, and he, by the way, you can see Mitch doing the same thing Biden is to a lesser extent, out cutting bridges, looking at his members. Where you know, we we have a sane plan, though he'll have plenty of internal subversion about that. Well, these House guys go into parts unknown. I mean, we we don't know what the impact politically against a guy with vulnerabilities like Biden of a of a just a mad dog Congress will be the nature of our politics rewards suicide bombers because they come from places where they're not going to personally feel the impact of the bombing. But, you know, I do think Mike, the play, we, yes, the, the playbook got thrown out, has been thrown out again and again and again. The playbook last fall was really called for a very, very substantial Republican win and right. it didn't happen. And it and it does. I mean, it does seem. I mean, the, the the question is where these independent voters go. 
and what right. they will tolerate, and do they think that what these guys are doing is actually meaningful? Well, yeah, and you, you can make that argument. It might be right that what worked about breaking the playbook last time was enough crazy. Some right. more crazy yeah. will push you back to the old playbook, and that's not a bad bet at all. I, I'm just saying we can't know like in the old days. Oh, they go to the center, the problems go to the right, they get wiped out. We, I don't know if we can know that, though. History, which is often right, would say yes. Well, Wasserman knows everything. What do, what do you think, Dave? If Republicans nominate someone who is considerably younger uh, and more normal than Donald Trump, then they should start out as the favorites over Joe Biden in this race. With the underrated desire of the persuadable voter in this country has been for the last few years is to break out of a gerontocracy. And so even if Ron DeSantis is considerably to the right of Trump on, on several issues. If he comes across as competent and more energetic than uh, Joe Biden, and if he's able to run from outside of Washington, uh, that's going to be very difficult for the president to overcome. Yeah, I'm not talking yeah, about I the president. I wasn't exactly talking about the presidential race. And we should, we should talk about that in a second, because Biden's been pretty active in the last few weeks uh, in interesting ways. Uh, I was really talking about congressional elections. I mean, my view is what happened last week, it increased the likelihood that uh, we're going to have a Democratic House in 2025. That is my view. Now I'm really treading in your waters here, Wasserman. But, you know, my, my view is that a lot of those marginal uh, Republicans are going to pay a price for these crazy people. But maybe if he gets, if they get cut loose, maybe not. Yeah, I'm not as sure. I'm skeptical of that, actually, because if you go back and look at, at 96 and 2012, right, when you had Democratic presidents who were were reelected, but Republicans were able to hold on to uh, their majorities in the House, in part because the presidential election overshadowing those races made it more possible for those uh, Republicans uh, in, in swing districts to fly under the radar and benefit from the advantages of incumbency and also uh, uh, voter preferences for checks and balances and divided government. So I, I think the jury's out on, on how this plays in congressional races in 2024. Uh, I think the biggest thing going for Republicans in the House, right, uh, from today's vantage point is the, their potential to redraw maps in Ohio and North Carolina and ring another six or seven seats out of those two states. That could be a valuable insurance policy yeah. in the House. With that asterisk, I'm sticking <laughs> sticking with my prediction uh, because I think if the House uh, play- Fox, if, record this. Record yeah, this. yeah. And, you know, there's yeah. also, we go into a real recession. There are huge macro factors that'll work around whether or not Jim Jordan is, you know, running around in his underwear. But good point, you know. Not an image we just I necessarily want, but yeah. Yeah, I try to unthink that one. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. All right, listen up, Daisy and Dolly. I know you sleep through the podcast when I make you listen to it, but this this great new sponsor of Hacks on Tap is going to change your canine lives. David, tell them about it. Well, it's called Nom Nom, and the being that's going to be most interested in that is my dog, Mac, who has me wrapped around his little paw. <laughs> Nom Nom delivers fresh dog food with every portion 
personalized to your dog's needs. Oh my God, he's going to be putting a whole list together. So you can bring <laughs> out their best. Nom Nom's made with real whole food you can see and recognize without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. Hey, Dolly, they're talking to you, girl. <laughs> That's because Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make Real good food for dogs. Really good food. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists. Wow. It's a mouthful, but that's why you have such good food. It's made fresh, and it's shipped free right to your door and your dog. Nom Nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions to clean bowls and tail wags. Boy, it's so much better when Dolly or Daisy... Our two dogs, one older, one very young, feel better. And you can just tell there's a little, little bounce in their step from good food and better nutrition. Daisy loves, loves the benefits she's seen. And Dolly is grumpier, but coming around. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Yeah, it's a good deal. Good for the dogs. Good for everybody. No fillers, no nonsense. Just Nom Nom. What do you say, girls? Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash hacks. Spelled trynom.com slash h-a-c-k-s for 50% off. Trynom.com slash hacks. Roof, roof. So in terms of Biden, you mentioned Mitch McConnell. They were in Kentucky last week together, along with Mike DeWine, the Republican governor of, uh, uh, of Ohio. Sherrod Brown, I think, was there cutting a ribbon on a bridge while all this was going on in the House. But not just any bridge, you know, taking symbolic credit for the big infrastructure bill, which under the old rules would have been big effective politics. Yeah. And obviously he's repositioned himself he's repositioning himself on the immigration issue. Effective potentially. I mean the immigration thing is fraught. Yeah. But it seems to me that Biden positioning himself as a pragmatic, progressive but pragmatic politician willing to work across the aisle is a good place for him to be. Yeah, you know, we've pounded on him for years that they've not been adroit at campaign style messaging and this this appears to be green shoots of a much better general election focused, you know, message operation as he creaks toward announcing a reelection. So, yeah, yeah, good baby steps. And that's going to be key for him, right, is running on on a record of bipartisanship, which, right. by the way, um, yeah, he has more to point to, I think, in that regard than Obama had heading into 2012. Uh, yeah, a lot more. Signature achievement was passing a health care bill along party lines. Uh, Biden's got more to say and in a more fraught era, frankly. But, you know, imagine if you've got uh, uh, these congressional hurdles of a debt limit and government funding cleared with the support of a breakaway group of Republican moderates. I think that politically benefits both those moderate Republicans and, and Republicans' ability to maintain control of Congress and to some extent Democrats in the race for the White House. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can see the PowerPoint in their meeting, and it makes a lot of sense, which is, okay, as we predicted, the Repubs have gone nuts. They're scaring their suburban, their college-educated women. So we've actually got a huge story here. Chips bill, guns, you know, yada, yada, yada. 
So, wow, let's crank it up and go. And where's the left going to go? They're, they're, they're getting on the Marjorie Taylor Greene for vice president wagon? Don't think so. So it, it's politics 101, and it, it, it makes a lot of sense. So they're, as I said a minute ago, they're, they're starting to put one foot in front of the other politically for a change, which is good for them. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Axe? You've 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 seen Biden at his best and at his weakest. No, I, I thought I thought it was a very, very uh adroit uh I I think they've been very adroit on messaging in the last couple of, of weeks. The immigration thing is obviously fraught because he's repositioned himself and he's getting yelled at by the left. That isn't uh likely to hurt him. But you know, they they've got to produce results here in terms of making some sort of progress on the problem. And obviously Wasserman's friends over in the House are uh, about to tee off uh, on the uh, uh, on the whole immigration issue and the administration's handling of that issue. They're aware of that. That's why the president was down at the border. That's why he's repositioned himself. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's talk of impeaching Mayorkas. Do you think that happens, Wasserman? you think they go that far? I'm not sure they'll have the votes uh, to get quite far but uh, they i you know they're trying but they have 210 votes yeah well they have 218 yeah well the 210 will that will be preceded by bright lights on the issue of immigration down there so but you know the president hasn't been all that uh willing to challenge the left uh in his first two years so that was a pretty big move uh to take a more uh, uh you know a a more uh, draconian kind of step in terms of uh, of prohibiting who gets in and so on. If they want to peel off suburban Republicans, a little of that is very helpful. Yeah. It gives them something to cling to because there is a feeling, and you know, I know a lot of these world and uh, these people in the anti-Trump world and all that feeling of, you know, Biden was a great centrist in 20. I'm a Republican. I left the party to vote for him. And then he immediately burned me with the crazy stuff on the budget. So who is this guy? So you secret lefty giving them some triangulation food is smart politics for Biden because there's going to be pressure. The Republicans go kooky. Now it's back to Wasserman's great point. Who do we nominate? You know that, and but I guarantee you, very little happens in a Republican primary that reassures those kind of, you know, unhappy with the Republican Party, Republican suburban voters. So Biden's got an opportunity here. But if he folds to the left again at the first mention of Trotsky, uh, that's that's terrible for his brand with those voters who could really help him if the Repubs go as crazy as it appears they're going to go. I think Trotsky's probably been banned from the lexicon that's uh, not what mgt says yeah no i know well there are oh, there's still pockets like at the archives but <laughs> yeah cell 28 comrade uh the other thing you know the republics are sending and it's pretty shrewd politics they're they're the the immigration scream has been changed a little updated it's now the immigration fentanyl scream mm-hmm. and biden ought to get in front of that because that is a pretty handy bumper sticker crisis they're going to create fox will be doing round the clock biden led another fentanyl caravan into our our homes and cities uh the biden guys ought to get in front of that and not lose the battle of the new complicated scary bad word i'm kind of curious about the the potency of of that um f word because you know i noticed in in colorado uh in the last cycle Republicans really running hard against Democrats' bill to decriminalize possession of small amounts of fentanyl. And it really fell flat. I mean, Colorado was a blue wave state in 2022. So 
maybe it's maybe it's early to, to well, make well, that. Colorado is of, high 90, 24, 7, thanks to early. But no, it's a good point. I, I saw it in the campaigns and I kind of shrugged. Except for our loyal listeners who are listening right now and probably don't appreciate gratuitous insults of the great state, state of Colorado. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway. But they're picking it up, and who knows, this can be wrong, but in the Repub world, they're totally picking it up as a growing, they might have been early on it, but but it's a thing out there in mom, and it's kind of like the education issue was. Oh, my God, they're teaching, you know, woke arithmetic in our schools. It's a thing out there, at least in the the culture that's catching on. The political yeah. potency, I don't know, but they, they, they have data where they think it is. I mean, so. I think the issue, the, yeah, at the core, of the, the, that may be. The core of the issue is still the core of the issue, which is the sense that people are crossing the border with impunity. Uh, and um, I think that the administration is going to have to produce, and it's not easy on this issue. But, you know, David's point is of course, the right one. I still believe, and I've said this here, I've said it elsewhere, you give me Biden's record and a 60-year-old president, and I'm going to get him reelected. What, what is, it's like the Steve Martin joke, how to make $100 million in three days. Day one, get a new suit. Day two, get $100 million. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it, it, the 60-year-old president is the problem in the logic chain there. No, I understand, but that is, that is the, you know, that is the hurdle that they they need to clear, and uh, that's a more complicated issue. And I do think, to Wasserman's point, that if the Republicans nominate a candidate who's in his 40s or, or even a candidate who's in his 50s or her 50s, you know, that is going to be a big comparative advantage. Yeah. And there's just, there's just no way around it. I'm still not a believer, and I've said it here. We'll see how the whole... Uh, DeSantis thing rolls. Yeah, you know, on paper it's so good. You know, you you I've been hearing this among pro DeSantis Pauls in my old stomping ground of Florida, which is after they say, Oh, he's great, he's wonderful, better than Trump. I was with Trump, time for a change, you know, he's so impressive. Then they pull you in the corner and whisper, you know, the only thing is he's a little weird, doesn't like to touch people. I don't know what that's about. Is there a pill they can give him? This kind of uh spectrum y stuff is starting to bubble around a little. Somebody in his world were very proud of him six weeks ago, I think, for the first time at a, you know, after a hurricane, you do a lot of events where you hear these heartbreaking stories from people who lost everything. And the governor would show up for those. For the first time, somebody was telling him a really horrible story. And he reached out and gave him a pat on the shoulder. And the staff almost fainted. They couldn't believe it. You know, he's been to class for a month to learn how. Such progress. So, yeah, we'll see how he does with the 10,000 car washes. Until they found out that he was saying, get out of the way. I want to see the guy behind you. Yeah, exactly. That's your insurer. I'm going to help him deny the claim. Well, and also is if his supposed competitive advantage, his theory of the case is that uh, he can run to the right of Trump on COVID and vaccines. But, you know, when we get to several years after most Americans think the, the pandemic has passed, how potent is that going to be, even in a Republican primary? But he's going to be blazing new trails. He's going to go after, you know, professors at the state university. And he's going, he's going to keep throwing logs on the culture war fire because he is, uh, you know, he, you know, I've said it before. He's the, he's the transition drug for people who want to kick the Trump habit. You know, he's methadone. You can still get the same culture high, culture war high, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, it's not as bad for you. 
as as Trump is, and that's that's his theory. I don't know how it sets him up for a general election. You know, if a shrewder version of the culture wars could do fine in a general election with a generational candidate, the question is, does he have the discipline to develop that rather than the loutish Trump version of it? I've said it years ago. You know, it, uh, these things operate differently than governors' races. They are MRIs for the soul. Whoever you are people find out and the question is whether he can pass that test we will find you know we'll find out about well, that you but better we, not have any metal on him that's key <laughs> we uh we're <laughs> we, i couldn't resist <laughs> i've heard that line before it's a good line but i couldn't resist okay then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back hey x you're a former uh, journalist I am. Give me a smart aggregator I ought to learn about, something that'll make me smarter. Well, first of all, we need one because internet's great. There's tons of stuff on it, tons of content, but it's overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. And you and I both know that as old ink-stained wretches <laughs> who love reading newspapers. But staying informed doesn't have to be a challenge anymore because Smart News is here to streamline the way you consume media and get you straight to the stories that matter most because they deliver critical and breaking news curated just for you, Mike Murphy. All on one app, right? I mean, I understand they aggregate local stories, global stories, all of it from trusted publishers. So you're not wasting your time and you can stay informed on what matters most to you be it local weather, which I need right now in the middle of the Noah's Ark yeah, 2.0 the flood here there, in L.A. Yeah. yeah, literally my basement is now a minor ocean. Uh, yeah. To trending TV shows. I'm saying Again, a rubber in- duck over. <laughs> Smart News scans stories, analyzes headlines, and partners with respected publishers to deliver information and helps you live smarter. Say goodbye to information overload. Oh, thank God for that. And say hello to saving time and getting straight to the news. That's what I want. Smart News has big stories from top public to keep you in the know on everything from breaking global and national news to real-time local alerts, which is important, and personalized feeds for sports fans, which is essential. Yeah, being able to personalize it really streamlines things, and Smart News does that. It's a piece of cake. So download Smart News for free today. Go to the App Store and get the news that matters most to you. That's Smart News, S-M-A-R-T-N-E-W-S. Search for it in the Apple App Store for your iPhone or iPad or Google Play Store for Android users. Smart App, a news app made smarter. Discover the all-in-one platform that delivers all the information you need. Just uh, three quick ones that we we will we'll talk about in the next. I few want to hear weeks. about Chicago mayor because I'll be voting several times in it. So you give us right, an okay. update from the, the Windy the, City. All right, those of you who play the drinking game, yeah, there you go. Take Drink a up. big swig. Murphy got his Chicago voting joke in. Kentucky, twelve Republicans, I think, because they're uh, running because it's worth having. It's a Republican state. The question is, can the the Democrat governor uh, Bashir, who's kind of a star, can he survive? in a year that looks pretty bad for the D's on these off-year governors. Yeah, if he does, if he does, you know, look for him, his name to start surfacing in terms of future national candidates. Democrats love Southern candidates, and he is, uh, he's, you know, he's good on TV, presents well. Uh, I think there's a little a lot bit of, of the Clinton juice to him. I just wonder if the Democrats can nominate in this era uh, an old white guy other than Joe Biden. But we'll find out. He could be he could be a tough candidate. What about a young white paper. guy? Well, not easy either. 
But I did an X-Files podcast this week with Gretchen Whitmer. You know, there's so much buzz about her. Listen to the podcast. There's a reason there's buzz about her. She's really, really good. I mean, she, authenticity is the coin of the realm in national politics. One of the measures of that is, is there a big gap between who you are in a green room and who you are on a stage? Yep. And the, the narrower the gap, the more potential a candidate has. She's utterly uh, authentic. In I a, totally agree. If you can fake likable and normal, you can go anywhere in politics. And I actually don't think she's faking. I've known her through my family for a long, long time. And she is a good person. Well, also, yeah. Mich- Michigan Democrats can argue that they've kind of cracked the code in yeah. how to bring a blue wall state that Trump cracked in 2016 back into the reliable blue fold. I mean, they, they ran the, the table in 2022 and, and there's a reason I think that makes it harder for Pete Buttigieg to argue that he could be a viable candidate for Stabenow seat. There's such a long line of talented democratic women, uh, yeah. who've been running for years. I think he's shaken himself out. I think he's figured that out sure. to play the longer game, but well, you know, that governor's seat opens. We should keep an eye on new Traverse City, Michigan resident Buttigieg. There'll be plenty of applicants for that as well, but I think he'll probably take a uh, good look at that. But anyway, he should. Uh, Chicago Mayor uh, Lori yeah. Lightfoot is there. There are plenty of people who've signed up for that assignment as well. Well, you you should give us the who's who and all that. Cause- so uh, I think at least uh, on paper, to me, the most uh, serious challenger, perhaps the front runner in the race is Chewy Garcia. Right congressman base right uh you know he's got a strong base in the hispanic community an appeal in the progressive community he doesn't have a lot of resources uh right now she's on the air uh and he's not and she's on the air with negative ads attacking him so uh he's he needs to he needs to remedy that but he would be someone to watch the other guy is paul vallis who was the uh former city budget director schools superintendent been around. He was in New Orleans, Philly. He's traveled around quite a bit to different education. And, and isn't he uh, kind of the sharp pencil reformer guy to the extent such can exist there? He's the sharp penciled police union candidate now. I mean, I think uh-huh. the thing that makes him formidable, in the last few years, he's become quite close to the police union. Chicago has a huge public safety problem. It's issue number one, two, and three. He's running as the tough on crime guy, thinks he can put together the Northwest and Southwest sort of ethnic white uh, vote and get into a runoff and uh, beat her. And he's on the air right now. And you know who's doing his campaign? Our old buddy, Joe Trippi. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and and Mel, Melman is his pollster. So he's well, got he's like ca- a, capable people there. He, he what does. percent is the white ethnic vote these days in Chicago? Not what it used to be, I think. No, it's not. But it's enough to get into a. It's enough to get you. Uh, probably close to getting into a primary if you can add some other pieces. Interestingly, he's really sort of the quasi-Republican candidate in this race, but they're running ads, you know, tying him to Clinton, uh, tying him to Obama, tying him to uh, other Democrats and, and, and stressing that he's a Democrat, I think because they know they have to expand beyond that white ethnic base and reassure people that he is uh, kind of a mainstream Democrat. And she's in trouble and what she's saying, because her numbers aren't so good. I mean, he's let the cops be cops. Chewy is a progressive, right? So he's going to change. Yeah, I mean, the look, Herb, the, you know, I, I think the problem for her that she has two. One is that she is she's a very bright person. She's pretty irascible and she's managed to do the almost impossible, which is uh, unite uh, business, labor, Democrats in the legislature, Democrats in the, the county board, uh, 
you know, uh, the governor. She has no relationship with uh, with them. And there's a sense (laughs) that she's sort of on an island, which is not a good place for a mayor. Uh, to be. And there are a lot of other African-American candidates running. So her base is, is going to be sliced up. The teachers union is supporting another candidate. Uh, so I, I think she's got a tough road to hoe. I think the first order of business for her is to try and get into a runoff because it's not that's not a, a dead bank's cinch. But we'll, we'll get back to that. In the, the, the primaries in February, the, uh, the uh, generals in March. But we've got letters. We've got mail, not letters, but, you know, nobody writes letters anymore. But we do have mail, don't we? It's listener mailbag. That means yes. <laughs> All right. If you have a question for the mailbag, send it to us through the miracle of electronic mail. Email. Just send it to hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Oh, and a quick, Gibbs sent me a dollar bill here. A quick plug. The Bulletin newsletter is no longer here because Bulletin is no longer here, but it's coming back on Substack. If you're a subscriber, we your email moved over, so soon you'll be getting an update from us. And we have lots of cool plans uh, to figure that one out. Okay, our first question for our expert, Professor Wasserman here. This comes from Brian. Can you recommend a book to serve as a politics 101 guide for a first-time legislator when and how to buck the party when to get in line when to be the workhorse when to be the show horse it's all there so brian is there a book i'd say just avoid any of the illinois governor indictment transcripts do the opposite of that from the last few including republicans like george ryan but go ahead dave what do you got what's your recommendation you know this isn't exactly a new york times bestseller but um, i just got done reading a memoir by a democrat who, who just finished 10 years in the house named Denny Heck from Washington state. It's called sausage. Mm -hmm. And it's a great kind of day in the life of a legislator book, but there are some really interesting lessons. One of my favorite stories from the book is, you know, he really badly wanted to be on the intelligence committee and Nancy Pelosi told him, sorry, but there's a member who has a little bit more seniority than you. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, uh, you know, she walks down the aisle and, and points him and says, you're on the, the Intel committee. And he said, why is that? Uh, well, it turned out that that person with more seniority was one of the Democrats who uh, abstained or voted against her in the vote for speaker. And so she let that head roll. And, uh, you know, he said if there weren't uh, instances like that and there weren't party discipline, nothing would get done. Yeah. What does that portend for what the next that? two yeah, years? McCarthy's never been willing to let heads roll. Uh, he's conciliatory. So this is going to be uncharted territory. We saw a lot of eyes roll this last yeah. week, but no heads. Yeah. That is great. I'll plug one. There's a book. It's the old classic, so it's a bit out of date, but it still really explains at least the traditional legislative process, which is The Dance of Legislation by Eric Redman, uh, which is still probably in a used bookstore somewhere for a buck, but worth a read. What do you got for me, David? I said, John, that we started down this road, we should finish this discussion, especially with the wizard here. Now that it appears that Senator Stabenow is not running for re-election, who's going to step up? Is this too soon for a Buttigieg entry into the race? We talked about that a little. He is a Michigan resident now, after all. Go ahead, Mr. Michigander. <laughs> yeah, I think Pete would be formidable, but it's probably too early, and he's indicated pretty strongly he won't run this time. Uh, look, it is, it's going to be one of the big 
tough races. I've been through a few of those. In fact, I like to call that the Murphy seat because it was originally Spence Abraham. I ran that campaign who got elected. And then in a national tragedy, we nearly lost to Debbie Stabenow uh, when the presidential candidate abandoned Michigan that year. And now that seat's open again. So it'll be a big primary. There are about 100 people talking about running now. And I, I won't get into a bunch of name games, but there's a uh, there's a state uh, senator, there's uh, a state rat, there's one of everything, uh, and it's going to take a while for the inside game to shake out. Uh, there's a member of Congress, there might be two running. So uh, I'm going to say it's going to be a big fight, which will make for a stronger candidate. And on the Republican side, there's a lot of question. The right kind of Republican can make that race very competitive. The wrong kind, and we have a lot of those in the state party right now, could could hand a battleground seat to the Democrats. So stay tuned, but I would not expect Buttigieg to run. I would say uh, the early front runner in my estimation is someone in your in your world, Alyssa Slotkin. The yeah. uh, if there's the, a front runner, it would be her. But so right. early. I mean, one thing you can basically guarantee is that there is going to be a grade A Democratic candidate. You can't say that on, on the Republican side, as Mike alluded. But Alyssa Slotkin would be that swing district Democrat with a national security background who would be formidable beyond uh, beyond the major metros. Uh, and you, know, you can't overlook uh, Jocelyn Benson. Uh, the either. Secretary of State. And you wonder if there's an opportunity for Mallory McMorrow to move yes. up to something. She's the star I was talking about. State who, senator, yes. Not well known, but there's rocket fuel there. She can get some money and, and get out there, and she's yeah. kind of an internet and, hero. And would be, we'd be a progressive, sort of the progressive standard bearer in that primary race, Slotkin being more of a center-left right. candidate. There's also Haley Stevens from Congress, too, who's another formidable swing seat kind of candidate from the, the Detroit Burger. Actually, the guy she beat in the primary, Andy, Andy Levin, Levin yeah. who's you know the nephew of the former Senator Carl Levin, uh, also will probably take a look at it. What, you, what were you going to say, Dave? Well, yeah, Andy Levin, had he run in the other, in the Warren district, he'd still be a member of Congress right now. But, you know, if Haley Stevens does throw her hat in the ring, that would be an opportunity for McMorrow because that's, uh, I think, her, her backyard, Oakland yeah. County, right? Yeah. But then... And that's the deal, by the way. You know, all right, you get the congressional seat. That brings a little order to it. And then she'll go have the Nope, Titanic there's nobody fight. to broker that deal, though. I mean, there's going to be a primary uh, fight. Yeah, I don't know. If you're McMorrow and you can get a pick up a congressional seat, you're young. Anyway, we'll be back on this one because it's going to be one of the more interested. You have to imagine there's going to be a formidable black candidate in the could Senate be the lieutenant primary. governor sure yeah though in michigan political circles the view is that she's credible but you know not what's the word for it not a superstar Do, he's doesn't have the sparkles listen oh, he, the, yeah sorry the, are you the, talking about stevens no no he's talking about gil chris he's okay. talking about gil chris. yeah yes right. but i mean the real question with all these statewides is whitmer's term limited I think a lot of them are kind of looking ahead to the governor's race, and so uh, we'll we'll see. Anyway, that would Whitmer do it? This last exit question here: if she doesn't, you know, if Biden looks like he's shifts gears a step and is really going. I didn't ask her this question. We Stabenow hadn't right. You didn't know hadn't quit by that point. But I get the sense when she talks about where the action is in American politics today and executive experience and so on that she'd rather be boiled in oil than run for that Senate seat. I, 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 I think if she runs for another office again, it's uh, going to be it's going to be a higher office, not the U.S. Senate. 
and uh, probably in 2028. That's my surmise. Nothing she said, but I'd be I'd be more I'd be stunned, you know, if she declared for that seat. And she's made pretty clear she doesn't want to run for anything in 2024. So anyway, you got one for me. The question all America wants to know from George. I've been hearing a lot of outrage about George Santos' litany of lies, but only after he'd been elected. Isn't anyone doing any fact-checking anymore? Surely there have to have been some stories about his candidacy. And I'll throw it to you, X, only saying, I know the NRCC thought he was a clown, but there clearly weren't. Yeah, this was like a, uh, this was a really weird race because both candidates were kind of flawed or viewed as flawed. Uh, but I, you know, it, it is mind-boggling to me as a practitioner. Uh, the, what, here's what the uh, op, the opposing campaign uh, says about it, that they had information about him and the media wasn't interested in the story. I don't find that entirely credible. Yeah. New York is a place where a good scandal is always welcome. And there are all kinds of ways to get stories into the mainstream. But uh, you were covering that race Wasserman, what what is your sense of this? I mean, was this who bears culpability for the fact that George Santos's legion of problems didn't surface until after he was elected? Well, this is also a function of media markets uh, too. But look, yes. we wrote we wrote back in September on September first that Republicans were unwilling to touch him with a ten foot pole because actually Kevin McCarthy's pack had done a better job of vetting him than the Democrats did, and they knew that a bunch of the deals that he said he had brokered were made up. I don't think they knew the extent of his lying about his, his background. It is pretty impressive that, uh, you know, um, the MVP of the Brazilian world cup team, uh, you know, managed to just get elected to Congress and put Kevin McCarthy <laughs> over the top. But one of the reasons why you didn't see democratic PACs spent on this race was those packs tend to write off anything that's in the LA or New York media markets up front as a bad return. Too expensive, yeah. Too expensive. Because of television costs. Yeah. I mean, the most effective uh, way to communicate is either local cable or mail or digital in those races. And so they don't tend to get the same emphasis. Plus, uh, Democrats were trying to figure out their own side of the equation until, you know, pretty late in the process and had had their own primary I think the most shocking aspect of this is that no credible Republican chose to run in what was a great yeah. pickup opportunity. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I bet you those committees are going to spend heavily in the next election in that district, because when you put together a list of Democratic pickups, I mean, I assume that Santos won't be the Republican candidate. You know, I don't know. I, I just saw a press release from Santos saying he's already been endorsed by all the committees. So I think well, I thought you were going to say he's already won the primary. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, tomorrow's release, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether he'll still be the congressman by 2024, but it's highly unlikely that he'll be the candidate for the Republican Party, I would think. Well, it's the best possible timing uh, for for this to emerge for him. He's got a year and a half to try and make something of this or to write a whole new story, right? Yeah. But we got to remember, you know, Congress was designed for the voice of the drunken tavern. So there, people always ask, well, can't they arrest him or no? Lying? Keep you out of Congress? We'd, we'd never get a quorum. So he's gone, but he's here for a while. And one advantage that Republicans have in trying to, to throw him overboard is... The, uh, Nassau County is a very machine run place, yes. right? And so Republicans could 
local Republicans could decide to rally around one alternative and, and end his career that way. By the way, if there's one freshman Democrat, I think Democrats would prefer to throw over. It's Sri Tanadar from Detroit, who won his primary with like 25% in a majority black seat, but uh, I don't think they'll be successful. Yeah, that Long Island machine is something else. My first congressional race in the early 80s was there, and I basically got thrown out of a car in a potato field for not paying a bribe. The old Margiata. If I'd only been in Cook County. Yeah, right, boss mm. Margiana. So I'm looking at the clock here, so there's only one thing I can say. I've seen enough. Sorry, yes. I've been waiting to steal your line for a while. Thank you, David Wasserman, the professor, for enlightening us. Thanks for the promotion. <laughs> All right, and a little space banjo to take us out. <laughs> Thanks, man. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right.